3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you, put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let's play a game. Let's call it Mercy and No Mercy. As in, markets showing mercy toward some stocks and no mercy toward others. Why does this matter? Because today was a virtual mosaic day. A day where lots of stocks went their own way, based on the whims of traders, not investors. Even as the Dow gained 31 points, this would be dropped 0.12%. NASDAQ climbed 0.02%. So let's get right to it. We're going to start with the stock of Kroger, up 11% today. For ages, the market has been brutal in the supermarket chain, writing it off as an also ran. But today, Kroger had an analyst spirit, and mercy, mercy me, the company finally got it up after what feels like it's been guiding down for years. Just when everyone had started to give up on this one, fleeing from the stock because of competition from Costco, from Walmart, from Amazon, by Aldi, from Trader Joe, I don't know all those. You know what? We get this incredibly bullish analyst day where management tells us that they're going to earn not two hundred nineteen. Not 220, but 230 to 240. The street was only looking for 219. Considering all the competition, that's extraordinary. And it makes sense that Kroger stock roared higher. When I spoke to CEO Rodney McMullen this afternoon, a true gentleman, by the way, he made it clear that many of his long term initiatives that he's talked to me about for multiple years to win back customers and retain customers are now working, especially the restock Kroger plan. I know it sounds simple, but Rodney said they're telling the story about food. Kroger is food first, he told me, and he regards his company's strong brick-and-mortar presence as a distinct competitive advantage. They've had some success with their personal finance initiative, too, where they teamed up with one of my favorite banks, U.S. Bancorp. They've also developed a terrific consumer packaged goods advisory business that helps its consumers, its customers sell more product in the stores. Oh, and Kroger's are now rolling out its master brands fresh food initiative. You're going to see a lot about that in the coming days. I think it could be a big hit. McMullen told me, that there's tons of room for Kroger to thrive in the $1.5 trillion food industry. And after a hideous hiatus, the momentum has returned tons of mercy. On the other hand, no mercy for Twit. no mercy for Uber. Let's see my no mercy Uber chart. This is no mercy. I love this quick. You bet. Yes, this is the ride, Sherry. Okay. 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 That was not that. That was ill advised. Okay. This is a ride-sharing company that reported a decent quarter, but it um, it could have been a great one if it weren't willing to lose so much money on Uber Eats because food delivery has become the baton death march for everyone in this industry. The competitiveness of this delivery space has crushed. All the, all the players, unless someone blinks like I have because I have something in my eye, um, whether it's Uber Eats or Grubhub or Postmates or DoorDash, no one's going to make any money in this crummy, Armageddon-filled business. I think this was the quarter where everyone, including Uber, realized how devastating the gross margins, the whole delivery shebang, really is. It's not an industry, people. It's a bunch of guys running around with, like, stuff. I see him in my restaurant all the time. Guys, picking up stuff—that's a—that's a business. Okay, I'll get in that. Now, th- th- that's one reason why Uber got slammed. Down ten percent today, but I don't want to get too caught up in the fundamentals because the main reason is that the lockup on insider selling expires tomorrow. I'll get this: there perhaps as many as a billion shares will suddenly be free to trade. Hey, one billion! Given that the company seems committed to losing money in Uber Eats, I suspect that many of these investors, with a cost basis below twenty-five dollars, will be eager to take whatever profits they can get and watch the stock go down from here the hell is that? Broke my nail. Now, Uber's promising that it will reach profitability in 2021. Bold claim. I just don't see how they can get there. Call me skeptical or skeptical if you're listening to Wilf today speak to Jamie Dimon. That said, even if you believe them, you should wait to see what happens after the lockup ends, because right now, the market is showing Uber no mercy. Marion International reported last night, and immediately the stock shed more than 1% based on the headlines. What went wrong? Depending on which story you read, pretty much everything. Forecast tepid, revenue per available room light, bottom and top lines both soggy. I figured the stock would get murdered. Especially since Arnie Sorensen, the beloved CEO, has pancreatic cancer. But this morning we get the conference call, it was downright solid. take taking market share, buying back stock, having good growth worldwide, even with North America's experience had a slowdown in revenue per available room. But more important, we got good news. We got an update on Sorensen's health, the CEO. He told us, and I'm going to quote him, I've completed chemo, radiation, and immunotherapy over the last six months. Next step is surgery. I've been working throughout, and I am still getting in my morning runs, end quote. But those incredibly encouraging words, the market decided to show mercy, which is why this stock ended up rallying 2.7% today. We do not want an Arnie-less Marriott. He's too darn good. Arnie, you keep fighting then there's Starbucks. Not that long ago, this stock soared to 99 on acceleration some st- same source of uh, but uh, both here and in China. Next thing you know, in a small presentation, Starbucks shaded down its near-term outlook, and it was hard to understand why, because they had just reported another good quarter last week. What the heck is going on here? This market is showing no mercy to traditional high-profile growth stocks, because investors are banking on an economic rebound, thanks to the most recent rate cut. If the, economic, if the economy surges... The consistent growth of Starbucks looks a lot less enticing uh, compared to, say, the more cyclical stocks that can put up numbers that are huge during a renewed expansion. No mercy for Starbucks, even, at a, even though I just had a triple 50 cappuccino with skim wet, also called the Kramer, if you're ever on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Boeing, though? This morning, CNBC aired a stunning interview with Boeing's chairman, David Calhoun, led by Phil LeBeau with Becky Quick and Joe Curtin as backup boys. I'm proud of the network today on this. I mean, this was just some great stuff. Uh, Calhoun admitted his company had made mistakes. He told, Den- he- he told you CEO Dennis Molenberg is foregoing his salary until he writes the ship. He said the losses of the clients would be made good. He made it clear that they could have done a better job with the system. No kidding, but he did admit it. All this within the context of acknowledging Boeing's role in the two terrible 737 MAX crashes. The response from this market? Wow what candor can do. It was a shower of mercy that sent the stock up 2.1%. Then there's Shake Shack. Shake Shack. The burger chain reported a slight miss in same-store sales, fueled by a number of issues from problems with delivery because of new exclusive partnership with Grubhub. Are these delivery companies, I ask you, are these delivery companies, are they not the are. They're a blight! Now, if your restaurant chain with a high price earnings multiple, you can't even have a minor slip-up, which is why Shake Shack stock got obliterated. It was down 20.6%. Verdict? No mercy. For other companies, though, this market can be quite forgiving. LAM Research, RCS, which used to be hated by the analysts at much lower prices, is now catching upgrades today. Hey, why? Because we're finally seeing the end of the free fall in price for DRAM and flash chips uh, and uh, the two basic building blocks of technology. LAM makes the machines that you need to manufacture the stuff. Okay, so when are they recommending the stuff? Uh, well, uh, there was a big, a big push today on it. When the stock is up 100% already this year. Massive mercy. At the same time, here we go. You knew this was going to happen. The hanger, the thousands of dollar hanger that is used in my house for dirty Lululemon pants, also known as Peloton, reported this morning and put up in some incredible growth with substantially stronger than expected sales and a much smaller loss than people were looking for. But that's the problem. This exercycle company, and in the end, it is exercise. Even though it's got that screen and it's got my wife going. Nah, nah, nah. It's still losing money. After, that's what she does. She, <coughs> and Ali and all those people. What is that? I know. Millions, you, whatever. Listen to me. After giant run-up before trading opened, Peloton gave back all during the conference call. I, had, I made my comments this morning saying it was run. I hadn't listed the conference call. Because in the conference call, they said they're trading profitability for hyper-growth. That is the opposite of what this market wants right now. We don't want tuna with good taste. We want good taste and tuna. No wonder Peloton got clocked down 7.6% today, 22 and change. Hey, you know what? Stock came at $29. No prisoners, no mercy. Suboptimal. Here's the bottom line. I like this mercy, no mercy game. I may play it again. I may, I may not even be done. Maybe even tonight. I don't know. Because it shows you exactly how capricious and arbitrary this market can be. It wasn't that long ago when traders loved high growth stocks and loathed value stocks. They wanted you to compromise. They wanted you to get rid of profitability and go for big sales. The crazy thing? At this pace, value will soon be regarded as expensive. And the growth stocks that I said that we showed no mercy toward? Well, guess what? Unless we get a trade deal or the economy hits a roadblock, which point the money, what's it going to do? It's going to go right back into the growth names that they are showing no mercy to at this very moment. Mercy, mercy me. Where is Marvin Gaye when we need him? Hey, let's go to JP in Colorado. JP! Booyah, Mr. Kramer. What are your thoughts on presidential
4: earnings yesterday? A company with single-digit PE paying 4% dividend, buying back stock, and beating
3: earnings? With high employment and steady Did you read the GDP downgrade? Growth. Did you read the downgrade this morning? Get a hold of that downgrade. It was hideous. We're going to have to stay away from Peru. Um The downgrade was very, very effective in making me think that there's lots of worries. You might have just seen the last good quarter. Ah, mercy, mercy me. All right. Things ain't what they used to be, right? This market is a capricious one. Favorites will change, though, if the value keeps going higher and the growth keeps going lower. Oh, man, tonight, Americans are voting today in state and local elections less than one year before the 2020 presidential election. As worries still persist about foreign interference, I'm talking with the CEO of cybersecurity player FireEye. See how it's protecting the ballot box. Man, looking for stocks that can offer a combination of capital gains and good dividend, I'm revealing a few players that could pay in tonight's off-the-chart segment. Three buys! And uh speaking of no mercy, Twilio said it got the math wrong on its full year forecast last week. Actually, it was more like the arithmetic. How does arithmetic go wrong when you got all those guys who are geniuses? Well, let's find out. I'm gonna talk with the CEO. So stay with No Mercy Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim
2: Kramer on Twitter. Have a question?
3: You tell when a stock that's been languishing for ages is finally ready to make a sustained comeback. That's the question we need to ask about FireEye, the cybersecurity company with the best forensics division in the industry. They don't just protect you from hackers. But when you do get hacked, they help you figure out who did it. At this time last year, FireEye was surging to a multi-year high of $20 and change, but it didn't last. Come December, the stock finally got dragged down with the rest of the market then for most of the year. It kept drifting lower, eventually bottoming in the low teens a few months ago. However, since then, FireEye seems to have gotten its groove back. It's up nearly 31% since its August lows. The company held a bullish analyst meeting roughly a month ago, then reported a solid quarter last week. What's really fueling this run, though, is speculation that FireEye might be willing to put part or all of its business up for sale. So can we trust this move? Every time FireEye's gotten some momentum, people, uh, it, it feels like something's going wrong and investors have been burned. And maybe this time will be different. Let's take a close look with Kevin Mandia. He's the CEO of FireEye to learn more about what his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Mandia, welcome back to Mad Money. Mm -hmm. Jim, great to be back on. All right. So, Kevin, you did a uh, a terrific Trendscape report, your inaugural one. Uh, Give us a sense of some of the insights that you discovered about companies and their cybersecurity protection. Yeah, well, this
4: report is a little bit different than what we normally do. Normally, we write a report called M-Trends, which is about what are we witnessing on the front lines responding to breaches. And it's kind of our lessons learned, helping companies dig themselves out of some kind of security incident. What this report is, is we went out and pulled over 800 folks. And it was really our way of we know a lot about what's going on in the places where we respond to breaches. But we wanted to go global and get a feel when folks aren't under duress, what are you worried about, what are the things you're going to spend money on, what are you going to invest in, what matters most to you, and we did that, and really, when I looked at it, I'm not convinced I got surprised by anything, but it was just another data point to better understand our customers and to better understand the uh, cybersecurity landscape.
3: Kevin, there's a a sense among, I think, a lot of consumers, and just I'm not talking about consumers, Mm -hmm. companies, that, you know what, I'm going to be protected no matter what. There's someone looking out for me. If someone steals money, I'm going to be protected. Will there come a day where someone is going to have a serious breach, and the company's going to tell you, sorry, you're out of luck. You didn't read the fine print.
4: Right. Well, I think, first off, those things may have already happened, Jim. The reality is, uh, and I went right to the banking community When you have somebody's account get hijacked and transfers happen. Most of the financial services, especially in the United States and Europe, have done a great job of backstopping all their technical safeguards with sometimes manual checks. Is this really Bob doing the wire transfer or somebody hijacking his private bank account based on a user ID and passphrase? So we've gotten a lot better at that problem. And the good news is most consumers... Uh, they can't lose 150000 to $500,000 because they just right. didn't have that much in their account, right. and the financial services can make that account whole. It becomes more of an issue when a company account or a corporate account gets hijacked and some kind of unlawful transfer occurs, and sometimes it's hard to claw back that money. And we learned that with the Bank of Bangladesh. When $81 million was transferred via SWIFT, Is my understanding they couldn't find all that money. I mean, a lot of that money was, in fact, lost.
3: All right, so Kevin, I have not seen, right about you know, knock wood, I've not seen the giant headlines about some huge retailer that's been hacked lately. Uh, this right. used to be a matter of, of right. for me, you were involved in a lot of forensics. Is it, are they've gotten yep. better? Have they gotten hushed up? What are you seeing?
4: Well, so a lot of folks are getting better at it. One of the things, when you deal with CEOs after they have a breach, one of the first things they'll tell you is, we can't go through that again. That right. can't happen again. And what do we have to do about it? So a lot of folks that have already taken the walk down the victory lane, they, they, you know, victim lane, I mean, they've learned their lessons and you do a lot of uh, tweaks to their program. What we've just seen, Jim, is a shift. You're reading about these ransomware attacks ways for the criminal element to just encrypt drives and hold your data ransom until you pay for it. And that happened to some state government agencies. And criminals will always go after that low-hanging fruit and make money where they can. And they just can do that with these ransomware attacks. But we're still as busy as ever responding to breaches. We're responding to more this year than last year. But the good news is these aren't headline breaches. You can get in there and respond and contain before you have a breach of consequence where you have to go public about it.
3: Okay, now, Kevin, we have uh, pretty much talked to all of the cybersecurity companies, and we spent some Mm -hmm. time with uh, Symantec, spent some time with uh, Palo Alto. Uh, Really, we've Mm -hmm. looked at uh, a lot of the email companies, and we spent time with Z-Scale. Right. I think all these companies want your business, Kevin. They all seem to want your business. Is that one of the reasons why their stock's been flat? I mean, the competition, they'll mention you offline. They'll say, yeah, we're taking this from fire. I mean, who knows what they're really doing. But has it gotten too crowded?
4: Well, first off, there's thousands and thousands of security companies. And at some point, I think you'll see a normalization. One of the things that's unique to FireEye is we really know what the security community needs to build to defend folks. Because of that frontline experience, Jim, we get to see when technology is thwarted, how attackers are circumventing our common safeguards and winning when they win. And that for the top 1% of the offense... You know, I call it the red teams from Russia, Iran, or China, or North Korea. They do win when they put their minds to it today, but I think we can turn that over time. But we're all, you know, going out doing different things. Zscaler is a different form factor than the on-prem traditional firewall companies. FireEyes Heritage was an appliance company. We're going through that transition like several other companies of a historical origin of appliance with our IP embedded into hardware. And building software and bringing it to the cloud. So there's a lot of companies in flux, but you got to safeguard your customers where they're at. And and that's the race that we're in.
3: You've been steadfast and not willing to address the question about breaking up or selling, uh, merging with someone. I mean, but why does it keep coming up? Is it because the stock's been flatlining since you've been here or is it just because everyone says ultimately it has to happen?
4: You know, I don't know where the rumors come from. Here's the reality. I wake up every day, Jim, and go into work to build the company to last. When you look at my whole career, I've been in cybersecurity since 1993. This is what I do. It's what okay. I love doing. It's what the people fire I love doing. So we know what we want to do next and after that. And we know what the market needs. And we're just uh, waking up every day looking to execute on that plan.
3: All right. Last question. 2020 election. Sure. We know right. that uh, you mentioned some countries that, geez, I, there are a lot of people who mm-hmm. like to influence our elections. And they're much, probably going to be right. much more clever than 2016. Who's ready? Right. Who's gonna, I mean, are, are you involved? Are they calling you in? Because 2016 yeah. was a wake-up call.
4: Yeah, no, I think we're ready. I mean, I feel confident. There's a lot of different ways to hack the election, and I'll put that in quotes. The way that I'm most worried about is the influence operations to just – change the hearts and minds of the american citizens that are going to the polls to vote that is a tough thing to prevent there's anonymity on the internet and people can start facebook walls or communicate behind this veil of anonymity and you don't know if it's an element from another nation just trying to sway the five percent to the right or the five percent to the left But when it comes to hacking the polls, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think in a direct attack on any of the systems, whether successful or not, the evidence is going to be there. It's not going to be tolerated very well by uh, our government. And I just think all the vendors are coming together with government agencies to safeguard the elections. So I feel pretty confident. We're going to do a lot of work between now and then. I'm not worried about the vote count. I'm more worried about those influence operations that you don't even know they're happening to you. And I'm worried about what can you trust as news, you know, that fake wave document that's really, you know, sounds like someone, but it isn't, or that fake video that looks like something occurred, but it didn't. As we get more AI-based stuff, I think there are nations or elements that would be more willing to use that kind of fake creations uh, than most countries would be willing well, to accept. Well, I'm
3: glad you're bringing it to our attention. I think a lot of people, I don't want to say they're gullible, but this stuff seems so mm. real that anyone could be confused. I right. wanted to thank you also, Kevin, for your service. We're going out to the uh, Air Force thank Academy you. on Friday and uh, to salute more people like Good. you. So thank you so much. That's thank Kevin Manning, the CEO of FireEye. Man Money's back Get to the break. With the Dow Jones Industrial Average hitting another all-time high today, how do we go bargain hunting? If you're looking for value, I think it makes a lot of sense to go hunting for yield. Yeah, right now the benchmark 10-year Treasury, even though interest rates have been going higher, still at 1.85%, which means dividend stocks are offering you the kind of income you can't really find anywhere else. And that's one reason why some of the best performers in the Dow have been stocks with bountiful yields. And it's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Dan Fitzpatrick, the terrific technician, who's the founder of Stock Market Mentor, as well as being my colleague at RealMoney.com, where I uh, blog, because you are going to highlight some of his winners. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but the last time we checked in with Fitzpatrick back in mid-September, he told us that Apple and Microsoft were ready to roar. A lot of people laughed. Microsoft's up nearly 5%, but Apple... Is up 17% since he made that call. So I said, I got to go back to Fitz and see what he's thinking. He nailed those two tech titans, and now he's recommending three Dow dividend stocks. Remember, if interest rates stop going higher, these are really going to be really terrific. First one, Dow Chemical. Second, Verizon. And third, Walgreens Boots Alliance. Especially since we just learned the latter could, and I'm putting big quotes around that, uh, soon be taken private. Although it would be an immense deal, and I want to be very careful recommending it on that basis. That's not why I like it and not why he likes it. But first, let's start with the daily chart of the Dow, Lord Dow Jones Industrial Average. Because Fitz likes what he's seeing right here. Right now, the Dow is breaking out from what is known as a symmetrical triangle pattern. It started when the index peaked back in July. Since then, it's been making a series of lower highs and higher lows, and this is called a classic continuation pattern, meaning that the Dow was merely resting before resuming its long march higher. Resting, 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 taking a nap, Z. Z, Z. Okay? Most securities tend to move in phases. You get a monster rally followed by consolidation phase. Traders take profits. Sooner or later, the supply of stock for sale is exhausted, and now demand results in another leg higher, meaning there's not enough overhead stock, so they come in, they buy, and that's how a stock moves up. Now we're an index. That's what the Dow's doing right now. Hey, when you get this kind of breakout, Fitzpatrick says you want to buy as early in the process as possible. What makes him so confident? For one thing, there's the volume. The Dow tends to break out Uh, It tends to decline on week five and rally on strong five. And that's a sign of increased buying activity. Plus, when you measure the July peak to the August lows, the Dow's recent range is 1,900 points. Okay, so you can see the August lows. You can see where it's done. Um, Technicians like Fitzpatrick, all right, it's a good-looking chart, uh, add that number to the the old ceiling of resistance, giving them a measured move price target, which in this case could take the Dow. To 2,900. Oh, boy, that is an extremely bullish forecast, isn't it? But it makes sense to me, now that we've taken the recession fears off the table, and the Fed is very much our friend, that's nirvana. There's no, there's no reason why it can't go up. If the Dow Jones Industrial Average is ready to work, which will its components, uh, uh, the components that we should get involved in, which are the ones that could actually lead the charge? Now, this is where I differ with Fitz, but I'm going to give you what he says. It brings us back to the Dow dividend stocks. Walgreens, Boots, Dow Chemical, and Verizon. So I want you to take a look at the daily chart. Let's start with Walgreens. Now, this is a company I have been very skeptical of. I've repeatedly told you I prefer CVS, which reports tomorrow, because it's got that Aetna business that I like so much. But last week, Walgreens reported a solid quarter, and today we learned that the company is, well, let's just say, some people are saying it's thinking about taking itself private. And that sent the stock up 2.6%. Oh, and it still has a nearly 3% yield. So why does Fitzpatrick like this one? Okay, simple. Walgreens spent seven months wallowing in a pretty tight trading range after a big breakdown in the spring. The 50-day moving average was basically flatlining. The 200-day moving average kept falling. Basically, the stock was building a base in the low mid 50s. And eventually everyone who was willing to sell at those levels had already bailed. And that's where we found ourselves yesterday when Walgreens broke out above fifty eight dollars. I saw that break. I said, what is that about? On heavy volume, really look at this bike. Uh, With the technicals anticipating today's big news that the company might be taking private. Today, the stock continued to move higher. If Walgreens ends up being taken private, it would be the largest leveraged buyout in history. I say that as a potential negative, not positive, because that's a lot of money. And I have to believe that they would pay a meaningful premium versus where the stock's currently trading. Using the key moving averages as a guide, Fitzpatrick sees a couple of important things happen here. First, the 50-day moving average is finally moving higher, and that's the Red you see that? It's ever so subtle, right? Which tells you we're at the beginning of a new uptrend. Second, the 200-day moving average is still trending lower. But Fitz says we'll likely get a bullish crossover within the next couple of weeks. And that's where the short-term 50-day moving average goes above the longer-term 200. That is a classic trajectory, okay, classic sign that the stock's on the mend, which is what we need to see. That's why technicians call this the Golden Cross. And if you see a Golden Cross occurring here or anywhere... Well, I'd just say that you yeah, gotta buy the stock handover. Fist. Where's Walgreens headed? Fitzpatrick's betting the stock can go to seventy on this breakout up above fourteen percent, and that's not on a takeout for it's currently trading. Although it probably won't go there in a straight line. So again, this is about this is fluff, I think. Okay? So just discount that. And what you're seeing is the nice kind of upwards upward trend that Fitz says we should buy. Uh, I don't want you to chase anything like this though. All right. How about Dow Chemical? Now, here's one after being spun up by Dow DuPont in April. The new Dow Chemical swiftly lost about a third of its market capitalization over the next four months. Stock bottomed at forty dollars in late August. That's when we really thought there was going to be a recession, right? And then finally, ran out. Of, ran, the sellers just kind of ran out of. They ran out of what uh, merchandise? I mean, they were just done. Since then, Fitzpatrick points out that the major institutional money managers have been buying this one hand over fist. You can tell because it tends to rally on strong volume and decline on weak volume. So so this is is weak volume and that is strong volume. Meanwhile, Dow's 50-day moving average, it turned up. When the stock broke out above its multi-month downtrend uh, last month. As of today, it climbed all the way back to 54 and changed. It's pretty, this is a really impressive move. It's gotten a bit overextended here, but he recommends buying Dow into any weakness, and I think there will be some. But the company is paying you a 5.5% yield just to wait for to be able to make things better. It us trade, by the way, with oil, too. I think Dow's exactly the kind of stock you can buy when you realize that the risk of recession has been taken off the table. I wouldn't be surprised if it uh, stalled here and that it had more than run. And I am kicking myself that we sold this one for the charitable trust, even though we ended up getting at good prices. But this thing is now a juggernaut, and it's a juggernaut because of the possibility that business is going to get better in this country. Finally, there's the daily chart of Verizon, which really doesn't fit well with Dow. This doesn't need business to be stronger, but get this. This spent the better part of a year, one full year stuck at a trading range between the low 50s and the low 60s. Every time the stock hits 61, it gets overwhelmed with supply. Investors start ringing the red, a mess. However, for nearly a year, Fitzpatrick noticed that Verizon has been making a series of higher lows, creating a flat triangle pattern. You can see this is the flat triangle pattern. And what happens is, in a flat triangle pattern, is it eventually breaks up to the upside. More recently, in the past couple of months, the stock's made a smaller, uh, f- a smaller uh, flat triangle. That's this one right in here, okay, with the floor of the formation at roughly 59, all right, not far from where it's currently trading. Now, this is what's known as a fractal, where you have a small version of a pattern tucked inside a larger version of the pattern. And Fitz says fractal formations can be very powerful if you trade them correctly. Now, if these levels rise and still stuck in jail between 61 ceiling and down here, you know, at that 59 level. A lot of people feel it's really gotten boring. I don't care about that. You could buy it right here. But Fitz recommends waiting for a breakout above 61 because that's when you'll know that, uh, that the leg is really going to be starting. From 61, he expects it will be smooth sailing to $70 based on the length and depth of the consolidation pattern that Verizon is currently stuck in. You know me. I don't like to buy them high. I like to buy them low. Buy some right here. The bottom line, the charges interpreted by Dan Fitzpatrick suggests the Dow Jones Industrial Average has a lot more room to run. And he thinks it will be led by the dividend payers. Verizon, Dow Chemical, Walgreens, Boots, very contrary call. Oh, and if Walgreens is really taking uh, private, I bet Fitzpatrick's $70 price target comes true even sooner than expected. But remember, we don't take chase tips. We leave them for waiters. I'm saying this because I'm so afraid you're just going to buy it I'm on a takeover basis. That's not why I'm doing this piece. Okay, much more man money ahead. Calculationer. hmm. St. Twilio's stock tumbling, with the shares falling almost 13% over the past week alone. I got the CEO, and it is a hot seat, believe me, like the Jenkins hot seat on the side in the NFL. Then I'm telling you why it could be time to curb your enthusiasm when it comes to this market's rally and revealing what's really behind the move higher for some of the stocks, not these, and all your calls rapid fire. Tonight's edition of The Lightning Round, so stay with Kramer. All right, what the heck just happened to the stock of Twilio, TWLO? From the beginning of last year through the past July, the cloud-based communication service stock was red hot. Twilio helps app developers embed communications functionality into their own programs to connect with customers. Think these text messages you get from Lyft or Airbnb. I thought it was a great story. And that's why we crowned it one of our cloud kings and bought it from My Travel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. But alas, Twilio peaked. At 151 over the summer, and since then, the stock has lost 39% of its value, sinking to 91 as of today. At first, Twilio seemed like merely one more casualty in the market's rotation out of those high-flying cloud stocks I talked about at the top of the show. Uh, nothing more. Uh, But recently, we've seen there's some serious company-specific problems that must be addressed. For instance, last week, Twilio reported a mixed quarter with solid results, but not so hot guidance. Plus, management revealed a billings issue that caused them to issue $5 in one-time credits to a piece of customers. Then just yesterday, the company announced that a calculation error had caused them to overstate their full-year earnings forecast by $0.04 a share. That's not nothing when you consider that the company only made three cents a share last quarter. So the stock tumbled from 97 to 92 on top of everything else. Twilio is now at its lowest level since January, having given back nearly all of its gains for the year. It's been a brutal experience for my charitable trust. As much as we love this company, and you know we do, investors are suffering. People on Twitter are angry at me. I don't blame them. Patience is wearing thin. We need some answers. So let's check in with Jeff Lawson. He's the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Twilio. Get a better read on what's happening. Mr. Lawson, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here.
3: Okay, Jeff. I'm glad you're on. You're not ducking these issues. I got to figure out what happened with the uh, with with the calculation error. Can you tell us what went wrong here?
1: Yeah, the calculation error was a simple math error in the press uh, press release for our quarterly earnings. The numbers were all the same. They just got added up incorrectly. The guidance didn't change the mathematical error, error, of course, is on us, right? We have to make sure to get those things right. And we have instituted additional processes and controls to make sure that such an error cannot happen again. Uh, but that is uh, one of the growing pains that we have experienced uh, as we've been growing as quickly as we have. As you can see, last quarter, we grew 75% year over year uh, on a revenue base that's now well over a billion dollars. And so this incredibly fast growth is fantastic. But it's come with some growing pains. And of course it's on us to get all that stuff right, but it is a cost of growing as quickly as we have.
3: Okay, let's let's I'm not done with this. How complicated is the forecast? Is it a simple financial model or are there complicated calculations within that went wrong?
1: Well, the forecast, which is different than the calculation error, uh, in the, um, press release. The forecast is, of course, complicated. We have 172,000 customers that comprise our customer base and well over a billion dollars of revenue. So, as you can imagine, that's a complicated forecast. And what we had as far as the, uh, error in the billings was a simple clerical error okay. of data entry. Right, so, and let, that let's resulted... separate
3: those two. Let's deal with the forecast now. We're going to take the, uh, the error. We're going to say, we're going to trust you and say that that, that was a calculation that just made a mistake. But this forecast is very important because we need to know uh, whether some underlying assumptions change given the fact that you have all this growth or whether this is just a very hard thing to do. Uh-huh.
1: Gotcha. No uh, no assumptions have changed. Nothing about our forecast has changed. It is a simple mathematical error of adding two numbers. That was an omission when we were proofreading the press release. Okay. That got caught, actually, by an investor because all the information was public uh, and was fixed uh, in the revised uh, update. And So nothing changed about the business. All the inputs look incredibly strong, and we are as confident about the future of the business and the massive opportunity ahead as we have ever been.
3: Okay. Okay. Uh Did someone go back to the correction? Did someone review that before to make sure it made sense? I mean, look, you're a billion dollar company and and, and you're a brilliant man. And and so I candidly did expect better of you. Okay, I think, Jeff, I have to just say it like that, uh, because there is no doubt that you run a great company. But a a calculation that was wrong, a, a forecast assumption that wasn't right. These are not things I expect from you, Jeff. I really, I just kind of put it out there like that.
1: Absolutely. It's on us to get the simple calculations correct. And that's why we have instituted more uh, processes and controls. And there were multiple people who proofread the documents and looked at the calculations. Unfortunately, they were all missed. And so we've gone back and said, what is the root cause of how multiple right. people can look at a calculation and are reworking that process to make sure that back to the root source of that data, it's got multiple people calculating every one of those things. Because of course, it's on us to give investors the best and most accurate information. Uh, and so we take that to heart, and we have gone and are working on that infrastructure. And we've fixed several of the root causes, and we're in the process of fixing um, a few of the other things.
3: Would something like this fun. actually impact your business? Are there people who are staying who might be leaving the company because the stock's not going up?
1: No, I don't believe so. The fundamental market that we operate in is still enormous. I mean, helping every company out there, big and small, new and old, traverse this uh, digital landscape that they now have and using these digital channels to connect with their customers, that is an enormous opportunity. And nothing has changed about the very large market we're serving and the incredible growth rates we're seeing. In fact, customers are pulling us towards this opportunity and that is what's fueling our growth. And obviously, we have to continue investing in the infrastructure the systems and the processes to be able to keep up with that growth and that's exactly the investments that we're making how
3: about we do this how about you promise to our viewers right here this is not going to happen i know there are things that go wrong but that you personally are going to take it upon yourself to be sure that these problems are not going to happen again because i know that you're better than these problems jeff you're smarter than these problems and i know you can lick them is that a fair promise to our viewers
1: that's a fair promise. I commit to everybody that I am on top of these, and my CFO is on top of these, and we are ensuring that the processes that we're putting in place are there to make sure errors like this don't happen again.
3: Fair enough. That's what I want to hear. You're gentlemen for coming on the show. Thank you to Jeff Lawson. He's the CEO and co-founder, chairman, and CEO of uh, Twilio. T W L O. Matt money's back after the break. Teams, so to and then lightning rounds over. Oh, are you ready to keep that? I'm going Dave in New York. Dave. Hey Jim, love the show. Thank you. Uh, listen, I think with Delta we're going to fly to the city. I like right? Delta, but I like United more. I got a little rest rest there. Let's go to Janet in Texas. Janet. Jim, I purchased Constellation Brands at. Okay. I like Constellation Brands, but you know what? i got to wait for that spike Seltzer. That is what's going to drive the numbers. I need to go to Minda in Texas. Minda?
0: Hey, Jim. So I excited to ask you about my stock. Okay. Uh, it's Intel Set.
3: Intel Set. Well, that's one we haven't looked at in a long time. I think that that stock is not cheap at all. It has had a very big run, and I'm not so sure I like it up here. Uh, okay. Let's go to Francis in Michigan. Francis. Yeah. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. It just, I just want to ask you your opinion on uh, First Majestic Corporation. That's in this. That's a silver company. We don't like silver. What we like is we like Barrack and we like um, Sean Boyd's company. We like Sean Boyd's company. We like Agnico Eagle and that. Ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round.
2: The lightning round is sponsored by T D Ameritrade.
3: Even during the heart of earnings season, the actual quarterly reports sometimes aren't always that important. It drives me crazy. For example, yesterday, a host of cyclical stocks roared higher, even though they recently reported some really ugly numbers. (laughs) Take Caterpillar. When Cat reported, the results, they were hideous. The great machinery uh, company cut its forecast and told a pretty negative story about global economy. Stock was looking down six bucks to 129 the morning it reported. It was in free fall! But then it swiftly turned around, and now Cat's at 146. It's breaking out like the quarter was fantastic when in reality it was anything but. The best thing we got was a commitment to maintain the dividend and the buyback. Thanks. Then there's Union Pacific. This railroad stock initially got slugged when it reported weaker carloads and weaker earnings. This is a fabulous railroad. All aboard! But it could be considered hostage to China, hostage to coal, and hostage to oil, all softer in markets, even if it's become a much better operator than it used to be. Doesn't matter. The stock's went up 12 points in three days on very little news after really disappointing. That's not supposed to happen! Or how about FedEx? I mean, it doesn't report for a while. Its stock just rallied 8 bucks yesterday, totally out of nowhere. Didn't give up any of that gain today. Based on what? Trade rooms? Please, these negotiations aren't going anywhere that can specifically help FedEx's growth, and it's worth eight points. It makes no sense. It's not just the transports. Chevron. Reported an extremely light quarter on Friday. Extremely. Look at the headlines. You can see why it needed to buy Anadarko as much as Occidental did. Chevron needed the growth. The stock should have sold off on those disappointing numbers and stayed down. But it only fell a couple of bucks in pre-market trading. Some of these guys, the pajama traders, can't resist banging stocks down. And then it quickly made up its losses. And then yesterday, it rallied more than $5. Not because of anything company-specific, but because investors were feeling more bullish about the economy. 5 bucks. It was disappointing. And that's all, that's all this is. It's a rotation based on the idea that the economy's in better shape than the bears thought. I wish I could come up with something more concrete. I wish I had an explanation that's better, but you know what? I've been doing this for 40 years, and there is no better explanation than what I just gave you. In fact, I'm going to go one step further. I am thinking this rally in the cyclicals is based on vicious ETF buying, where there simply aren't enough sellers materializing to stop up all this sudden demand. These ETFs suck the lifeblood and liquidity out of the market. The buying is robotic. Real human buyers wouldn't pay up eight points for FedEx on no news, unless they think there's going to be some sort of takeover, which there probably isn't. Real buyers work in order. They wait for sellers to come to them. If humans have been directing these trades, the stocks wouldn't have rallied. I mean, maybe they go up a couple of bucks before the buyers would walk away. Instead, these machine buyers, they Blitzed all the sellers all the way up, and you have to believe they didn't even attempt to try to get a good price for their customers. Unfortunately, this increasingly feels like the new normal. on up days. Your first instinct is to say that everyone who wants to sell is sold, and that's why something like FedEx has so little stock for sale between 156 and 164 But that's just plain wrong! What if the real problem is that the machines can't seem to moderate their own buying? It's like the Terminator. They simply buy stock too fast. Way too fast for the sellers to be able to offer new shares. They can 't reload the sellers or they 're not there. now i 'm often criticized for only caring about, th- about these programs when the market goes down. That 's complete nonsense, chowderheads. You say that. I hate it when stocks go up like this on nothing. It destroys what makes the American market so great. Deep liquidity that leads to real price discovery. It's totally artificial, people. These cyclicals should not have rallied so hard yesterday. It's irrational. If you ask me, this is one of the many reasons why regular individual investors have gotten sick of this whole asset class and don't trust it. They don't want something that can go up eight points because they know it can go down eight points. I hate markets that rip higher for no reason. I like markets that give me good prices. Those of you who criticize me for saying I only complain when it's down, on the down days, you just don't know anything. Go pound sand! At the end of the day, this stock market is too thin. Everyone knows it. No one lifts a finger to stop it because the big institutions care more about racking up fees than they do about ensuring orderly markets. You know what? The whole darn thing, it's a travesty. tough. My chapel trust is going to stick with it, but I totally understand the trepidation you may feel about it. It's a tough one. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow.
5: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.